0: Some stress hormones are good and some stress is good, but I think we often in this industry allow ourselves to get put into a really unhealthy place when it comes to
1: stress. I should say, welcome to Harko Meets Humans. We're here with Saren. Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is straight into it. We well, well, that's no, how it works No here. pleasantries.
1: That's yeah. how it works here. Yeah. And, and <laughs> we should say the industry we're talking about is the music industry, of course. And you're probably... Most of your work that you're referencing there is for "We March at Dawn." Would that be what it what it is, or just freelance stuff under the same umbrella? Like, when, when people are like what what do you do? Obviously, because you're in the music industry, you do a, a lot of stuff. What's the one you What's the thing you tell them when they ask that?
0: I say I work in production, right? And then most people, if they work in the industry, then they're like, okay, cool, whatever. And they might ask a specific question. If they don't work in the industry, they go like, what's that? And I go, I work in Concerts and touring and festivals. And they go, oh, wow, that must be so cool. Oh, man, that's awesome. And then I say there's a lot more spreadsheets involved than mm. anybody thinks. Um, we March at Dawn is basically just the name that I gave, like me as a soldier writer. That's it. I was like, I, I need a website. I need an email address. And like this to me feels there's like a revolutionary element to it of just like.
1: It feels yeah. bigger and powerful. The website is sick as yes. well. Do you know what I mean? Like, Made it myself. It's it's, it's like Dave Grohl in The Foo Fighters. He's like, I didn't want it to sound like one person and no one really thinks The Foo... Well, now they know, but like Foo Fighters sounds like a band. We March at Dawn does sound like a, a thing. It's like, it's just me. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's literally just me. It's I Kevin was Parker like- and Tame Parley, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think, to me, the reason that I created it was um, not just because I wanted a, a fancy email, but more that I just wanted something that kind of made some kind of statement about like what my ethos was, like just as a, as an individual, like working in this industry. And it was several years ago that there was uh, just a lot of conversations that have happened over the past 10 years, probably with me and other people just around like, we don't have to, we don't have to do business the way that everybody has done business before. We don't have to be assholes to each other. We don't have to be um yeah, we don't have to be cunts. Like we don't have to be ruthless capitalists. Like we can and we don't have to be we don't have to be dicks to each other. We don't have to when we get stressed out start snapping in people and lose our shit. Like we don't need to do that. So there was for me it was like just a very a very early and a very small sort of expression of Yeah, how I wanted to maybe conduct myself in this world and then also like a hint of we're fucking coming for you assholes Mm. you know you're gonna die out right (laughs) we're gonna fucking take over okay (laughs) we are marching at (laughs) dawn (laughs) so this
1: is exactly why i was so excited to have you on because like i totally agree with all that stuff like just as a philosophy of like things can change well nothing is permanent Essentially, because we've, we have invented a lot of these things and these systems have either intentionally or unintentionally have just kind of arrived here. So you should feel comfortable challenging them or actually being like, does this serve us anymore? Is there, some, is there a new paradigm we can kind of get to? And I think you're definitely one of the people in a lot of different areas who I had a sense that that was your like, philosophy. So it's really nice to hear you like, articulate that so strongly. Um, has, has, have you seen a, a, a tide change? And is there? You kind of made it seem there like it's a bit of like a there is a a, a solid line between us and them in terms of the, the the cultures within music industry. Is is that something that still exists or was existing recently? And do you, have you seen it change or is it changing? Like you 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 you're someone who's like in the in the well. I just as as an outsider to the world a little bit. I just kind of want to know like chicken like how's it going so how's it going how's it going
0: um I mean I do think there is there's always within any kind of within any sector there are sort of sub-communities of people right and so um for me and the people that I tend to work with like yeah I think there is a little bit of an us and them type vibe but quite often it splits along sort of generational lines as well and you know, even when I was working at BFM way back in the day, I actually, last night, um, had a. I went out and had a drink with two people that I haven't seen in probably like seven years from those early days, um, or not early days, but sort of middle slash end days of BFM. Um, when, when I was working there, I met a bunch of other people who were like, you know, assistants at CRS or like. Um, a promoter's sort of right hand person, or like you know somebody helping out, somebody who's in like an assistant position at a label or something. And we were all calling each other on behalf of our bosses, and again had that sense of like we don't have to be assholes to each other. Like we all like each other. If we all feel a sense of like camaraderie and respect for each other, then like we can just make our all of our lives easier mm-hmm. and just like not be dicks when we pick up the phone. Um, And we started this thing called Familiar Strangers. It was all kind of about that, just like, we can all just know each other and build relationships and just, like, eventually we'll outlive all these people and we'll just kind of take over. That seed was, like, planted sort of very early on for me in the industry and it's just sort of morphed and changed since then and now working primarily in the live sector that I think um, does still exist, but it's, again, it's more along the lines of just, like, a slightly generational thing and then also just, like, I don't know, there are certain production companies that you, like, work with and they're your go-tos and because you really like working with them or whatever. And the people that I choose to work with by and large are not dicks to other people because I don't want to work for you if you're a dick to other people, not just me. Like you don't have to just be nice to me, but like, I don't want to work for people who are shitty to anybody else. It's mm. like that saying that's like on the wall in Cocos, if the server is, no, if, if your friend is nice to you, but not nice to the server, your friend is not a nice person. Yeah, you know? True. And so I kind of live by that. Um yeah, but I had a real like January 2020 before all of this COVID shit hit the fan. I had a real clear like come to Jesus moment around whose money I wanted to make for them, whose money I wanted to take, whose vision or ethos or ideals or co-papa I wanted to help platform and put into the world. Mm-hmm in short, who are the people that I want to work for and with, and just had a real clear, like, bing moment of, like, nope, this is, like, I know what my value set is, and if you don't align with this value set, then, like, I'm not going to work for you, or I don't want to work for you. I don't want to take work offers from you, and in order to be able to say no to the people that I don't really want to work for, I need to be very proactive about pursuing the people that I do want to work for and work with so that I'm not in a position where I'm, like, well, I got to pay my mortgage, so I have to say yes to this gig, you know? Mm And that was kind of a big sea change for me. Um, that man, I just, I just haven't looked back. So, like, my professional goal is to never have to work with people that I don't like, and that means I want to work with people that I actively enjoy being around, not just tolerate, but like actively enjoy. And if I can just do that, then like, I've succeeded.
1: You and know? and I think this is another theme with your work is that that's something you have to intentionally do that is something you have to like take responsibility for and, 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 and intentionally bring into your professional world and bring into the thing. And I, do you get the sense sometimes that people will it, will, will have the intention and, and, and will be like, I, I do want this kind of thing to be happening for me and happening for other people, but aren't necessarily understanding exactly the kind of commitment and planning it takes to actually um, make it happen? in their careers because I think a lot of people like would lack the follow through and intention, not because they don't want to, but because it actually, like you said, you have to plan, you have to actually um, make space for it and be a bit committed to it.
0: I don't know that I can totally, I'm drinking, dear listener, I'm drinking sparkling Mm. water. And I know at some point there's a burp that's going to come out, so I'm just <laughs> fair warning on that. And I'm not even going to try
1: and hold it in. Um, Free ASMR. <laughs> that's all that is.
0: Amazing. I didn't realize burping was a, an ASMR thing. Oh, everything's thing. ASMR if you, if you do it
1: close <laughs> enough to a microphone.
0: Okay, amazing. <laughs> um, I don't know that it's people necessarily understand the lack of or, or aren't able to or don't understand the planning or the intention that's required. I think it's a combination of... On the one hand, most people are not that comfortable asking for work and and saying to somebody like, hey, I would really like to work for you on anything that you've got coming up. Or like, hey, I'm really good at what I do. I want you to hire me.
1: Is this a Kiwi thing or is this a creative thing?
0: Great question. Uh probably both definitely I can say there's a Kiwi element to it okay I don't think it's exclusively that but I think it's probably worse because of do
1: you that. have advice that you give to Kiwi friends who like do you I have advice to give
0: to any everybody regardless of like where they're from also like I'm a woman working in well I'm a woman in the world and therefore <laughs> like there's a whole uh there's a whole set of um, lessons that we've been told about like, or, or receive knowledge about how we're, you know, not qualified and imposters and not naturally good at things, whatever. But specifically, I mean, a woman in the music industry, which means like, I definitely doesn't, it never came naturally to me to like stand up and be like, I'm more qualified than all of you. You should give me the job. Mm. Like there's a real, s- that's, that's not a thing that women are taught to do. Um, So I tell everyone, but often find it um, something that I repeat to friends of mine who are not dudes, um, is, like, everybody feels that imposter syndrome, except for the people who totally are not qualified, have no fucking clue what they're doing. And (laughs) generally speaking, whenever I start feeling that, like, oh, I don't know if, like, What if I fail at this? What if I fuck this up? That whenever I start feeling that, I just immediately am like, fuck that. Channel the thought process of a 21-year-old straight white dude and just embody that. There should be like a t-shirt. Because honestly, like, what would that, what would that kid do? That it's, kid would stand up and say, ah, absolutely. I can do this job. I've done it 50 times before and you should pay me $200 more a day. And they'd have no fucking clue what they were doing. And they would just go and they would figure it out. And like, that's fine. Cause we all figure out what we're doing as we're doing it. But like the difference is that a lot of people and disproportionately a lot of women let that self-doubt, prevent them from just saying like, yeah, I can do that, you know? Because of course you can fucking do it. Of course you can just figure it out. Like have some faith in yourself that like you will be able to figure it out as you go. Have you? Oh, and then the second thing, Yes, the second reason is also that we work as sole traders, as contractors, as freelancers. We work in a precarious industry where for a lot of people, like when we say we live gig to gig, we do live gig to gig, right? Like you don't, necessarily have the stability to plan your your financial future two years out. And there are a lot of people who are just, they're taking whatever is coming to them because that's sort of what's required in the moment, right? Like that it um, it's a hard sort of habit to make to be really strategic and intentional about things when you can quite often get stuck in a survival mode. Um, and, you know, I've also been lucky over the last 15 years of my life to maintain sort of like fingers in other non-music pies or non-live pies um, to be able to always know not it's not about knowing that I have another income stream because quite often I'm not actually making money off, off of those things but it's having the knowledge that I've got connections outside the live industry so when it all falls over because of a pandemic I have people who aren't affected by that who I can reach out to and be like hey man I'm not doing anything. You got any work going? And also to know that my skill set is transferable to those things. Like I know there are plenty of other things that I can do besides production. Production is just the thing that I love doing the most and that's why I'm doing it. But I do know quite a few people over the last two years who, when faced with not being able to do the thing that they've trained for and love and do full time have kind of frozen him and like, well, I don't know how to do anything else. I can't do anything else. Are you fucking kidding me? Of course you can. Like you, you, we are some of the most resourceful professionals in the world. Of course you can do other things, but we, I shouldn't even say weeks. It's not me. Like quite often those folks kind of get trapped into thinking that they, that their skills aren't transferable because they haven't it's been so long since they've tried to do anything else. And so there's a whole layer of self-doubt there as well. And there's also ego involved in it too, but you
1: know. How do you deal with being the outside force to people like that or an industry that has those kinds of issues or things going on, self-doubt in individuals or a certain culture within the industry itself and being this... Voice for change, for lack of better words. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I I I cringed as I said it, but I couldn't think of. I wasn't going to sit here saying Just nothing. Being a loudmouth. I'm mouth. fine being cringed. Honestly, <laughs> I have no problem. Um, and especially when the people who need to hear it sometimes can't either can't act on it or won't listen. It is that. How do you feel about? playing that role. Is it a comfortable it like role for you? An
0: agitator?
1: I, that's how you <laughs> described it I think on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm really curious as to how you you feel in that role.
0: I feel like and this has really crystallized for me over the last couple of weeks as well like just with the whole like you know, getting up on a soapbox and screaming at the universe about the state of the fucking industry and like, you know, we're going to die unless we get help yada yada yada. Um My general overarching theory for for life and any kind of social change is do what you can when you can with what you have. I happen to have a skill set that lends itself to this type of thing. I know that I can write. I know that I can speak. I know that I can convince people of things. And I have a thick skin and a loud mouth. And so I'm equipped to start the fight. Like I'm equipped to be an agitator. Um and I don't think that I'm particularly radical. Like I'm definitely not the fucking black block out there in the protest throwing Molotov cocktails or getting arrested. Like I'm probably way more centrist than like most lefties (laughs) would like. Um, But you know, I have the ability to like start those conversations and be a thorn in the side of people that will make them or in most cases, like it's enough of a, I'm enough of a pain in the ass that people have to acknowledge me, but I'm also like reasonable enough or come across as reasonable enough and well articulated enough that like they can't disregard what I'm saying as just like someone who's angry and incoherent and doesn't understand things like no I fully fucking understand where you're coming from but I'm still going to explain to you why you're wrong about it and you should be doing something different so for me it just comes down to like these are skill sets that I have and so I feel that I owe it to you know my community and I and the world in general to put those skill sets to some kind of good use. And somebody asked me this morning on something that was totally unrelated, like, something about, you know, did you, um, like, did you always know that you wanted to be, like, active in social change or some shit like that? And I, like, I honestly, like, my mother probably, if you asked her about it, she would be like, oh, hell yeah, I groomed her from an infant to, like, you know, be the." But I don't know, like, it's just, like... I think anyone who has some kind of a sort of moral and ethical compass that that pushes them towards social change probably has the same trouble as I do explaining where it comes from. Like, I don't know, it just is a thing. Like, I just believe that the world should be as good for as many people as possible. And, like, that's my sort of meaning of life, reason for existence type thing. I don't think there's any other meaning to life other than just, like, our human relationships with each other.
1: Yeah, and I've found personally, like, it's been really inspiring for myself watching someone like you talk about the things you're talking about and, and embodying all that, all the values you just kind of talked about there because it's such a fine line. It's, it's not necessarily a fine line but it's a complicated thing because you're communicating what you care about the way you can with your skills and trying to be effective and there's no way you can control how some people will react to that or not. You know, totally. but that's also there's no re- what you're saying is there's no reason not to do it. You just got to do it and try your best to uh, not placate people like that, but make sure that you've got no blind spots of like how you're doing your thing and you're doing it the best you can. Mm. You're not trying to piss these people off. And for me, like when I <laughs> sometimes I'm trying to piss them off, sure. <laughs> and I think I really relate to that. <laughs> and when I grew up, I'd like to be a bit more like you. <laughs> um,
0: I d- I mean, I think also you know there's got to be um, my goal is not is not to alienate people, right? Like my oh. goal at this point in my life is not to alienate people. We'll say certainly. we'll say
1: right now on twenty yeah. fourth <laughs> <24th> of February, <laughs> it's non alienation, but that yeah, may, it we may change. change. Who knows?
0: But I mean, it certainly wasn't that. Like when I look back at how I um, conducted myself in conversations with people when I was in my early twenties, like it was way different, and I, you know, was way more. Like I think many of us are, you know, you. I anyway, I was much more sort of hardline and unilateral in my thinking when I was in my early twenties. And I don't know, like my values have absolutely not changed, but my, um, understanding of how you sort of bring other people on the journey with you has certainly changed. And, you know, I think that comes with just sort of like lived experience and, you know, you have more and more of those conversations. And I think fundamentally to bring it back to an industry context, like if I say something that pisses somebody off then probably I don't want to work with you. Like probably you're just not my people. It's a sign of something. Yeah. Cause I don't think that I, I think generally speaking, like the things that come out of my mouth, like I stand by them. And if somebody has a a fundamental problem with that and they think that it's a major issue, like, I mean, hopefully you get to talk to someone about it and try and resolve certain things. But like, I don't know. I feel, yeah, I just feel like if the way, if the things that I say and the way that I say them are like, not your jam, like then that's fine. But you're probably not my jam then either. So (laughs) bye. So see ya. Well, yeah. And there's nothing that says that everybody has to get along and everybody has to be exactly the same. Just like, if you're not my people, you're not my people. That's Mm. fine.
1: Get out of the arena.
0: Yeah. And like, if you're like really shitty, because there's a difference between just, like, you're kind of not my people versus, like, you're bad for the world. Mm. If you're bad for the world. Like, yeah, you are going to be outnumbered, and we will come for you. Yeah, I get so. it.
1: <laughs> um, I hope you're going to invoice the Ministry of Culture and Ugh. the New Zealand government for your um, communication <laughs> of their own policy.
0: Yeah, and also for the time that I've spent on Zoom calls with them. <laughs> um, um,
1: yeah, let's get into that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't oh, know if people time. thought I was being flippant or not, but I really do think you should win that journalism <laughs> award that um, uh, that the IMNZ had announced. The, there's the new journalism music award for the Tates. And I think I, there, no one else has been communicating the information that the industry needs to know. <laughs>
0: That's very sweet of you. But it was also like, I, I'm sure that winning an award for a couple of series of tweets would be like insulting to the
1: profession of journalism. <laughs> um well if you deserve to be insulted (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's it's just it's like i get it we we do need album reviews and we need interviews with artists Mm -hmm. and platforms and stuff but sometimes we won't
0: have albums or artists if the industry fucking dies sometimes
1: we? we need communication and news and like it's it's not uh, again, it's not any personal person's problem. It's an institutional thing that I think we've really been lacking mm. for a long time. And it's not just music journalism; it's journalism mm. in, in general. It's yeah. been hard for them. Yeah. Um, where are we at now? <laughs> where are we at? Where it seems like every time something new comes down the pipeline, it's you communicate exactly what it seems, which is where pl- holes are being plugged and. Things are trying Things are being created But they almost seem like they're, The new things are fixing things From two things back <laughs> And like we're like Cool, sick we've, we've, We have fixed that now Great um, We still have X, Y and yeah. Z is that, is that a good kind of Summation of it Or like how do you feel about it? Um, And and to be clear, we're talking about the funding of the New Zealand music sector, not just artists and musicians, but um, production venues and things like that, which Mm. are all suffering at the moment through the Omicron.
0: Yeah. And to be clear as well, it's live events in general are suffering. There have been moments where I've been like, oh, man, I'm not advocating for theater. I'm not talking about sporting events or whatever. But also like those aren't my people like that's not the world I operate in. So like fuck man, you guys find somebody to stand up and start yelling. Get your like, own
1: sarin, all right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm trying not to like exclude anyone, but I also am very <laughs> clear that like I can't speak to like, I can't speak to those experiences. And anyway, um, where are we at the moment? Um Well, at this exact moment, two days ago, two days ago, the government announced the COVID support payment, which is basically a, Um, similar to the resurgent support payment from last year. um, $4,000 every two weeks plus $400 per full-time employee. um, If you can show a 40% decrease in revenue. Now, all we have to work on is a press release at the moment. So Mm -hmm. there aren't really any... There's no fine print yet because the application hasn't been released. There's no... like.
1: There's no policy document What has it. been, in your experience, the gap between the press release about something about and w- the application for something <laughs> coming through? Well, or or the or release a, of further details. Uh, or even the money.
0: <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing. Before Omicron, everything was fucking, sw- I mean, not sweet, but like pretty straightforward. We knew what we were dealing with. We knew we could apply, f- apply for the wage subsidy. We knew we could get the RSP. We knew what the timeframes were. Those mechanisms were very well established. They were... To the government's credit, like mm. the fact that they rolled that stuff out so fast and then they kept on, like they nailed that high trust model and it did what it needed to do. It got people money like within two weeks. Um, since Omicron, everything has been a complete clusterfuck. So the one of the major issues and one of the things that, you know, in my responses when things get announced is always like, well devil's going to be in the details. Like this looks like it could be positive, but hard to fucking say, because we literally just have a press release and none of the fine print. So, you know, the event support schemes on the surface looks like they were okay. And then you start digging through all the fine print and all of a sudden you go, Oh shit, actually this excludes a whole swath of people, or this isn't clear on X, Y, and Z, and they don't have the detail here or whatever. Or in the case of the Five thousand dollars emergency grant for uh, sole traders who are working in um the creative industries that was through Manatutonga um, um MC. They still haven't released that was announced at the beginning of February, basically. like they haven't announced that they haven't announced anything to do with that grant. And that's supposed to be the emergency grant for people. and we are now a full four weeks almost into the eight week period that it's supposed to cover and we don't have any information on what's going to be required to, to give them like who's actually eligible for it. Like all we have is a paragraph on the website. And so then again, that has happened with the COVID support payment. So I'm sort of like withholding judgment on things. And when they announced 121 million, they were pumping into, you know, adding into the MCH funds or whatever. Again, it was like, okay, well maybe this is good. But then it turned out when we got the details a week later, like, well, no, because you didn't change the mechanisms at all. You just put more money into the same problematic, insufficient, necessary, but insufficient mechanisms. And so you're just going to have to do a whole bunch of editing here. Sorry. But where are we at at the moment? Um, I think people are feeling slightly better. Like we're probably sitting at like a five out of ten in terms of like how people feel based on my conversations with folks in different parts of the industry um, in that with the COVID support payment and the event insurance scheme payouts, like maybe we limp through until April. Um, But fucking hard to say, man. And the thing is, is that when you talk to the business owners, the people who own venues or small production companies or even large production companies, like their runways, we're talking about like a matter of
1: weeks here. Like, yeah, that's why I just, reacted the way I did when you said you said April you said through to April yeah this and like I yeah the runway thing and that the stuff that hasn't arrived Mm. yet gets you through to April
0: yeah basically I mean maybe who knows (laughs) like the other thing with that COVID support payment is that it only starts from February 15th so they're ignoring all of the January that we lost
1: how many I people in the street right now? Do you think if we if we vox popped them and said, "Do you think we'll hit orange light in April?" We'll say yes.
0: Uh, honestly, I think probably about fifty percent of them. Like people are, I don't think we'll be in orange by April. Right. But like people seem pretty, people seem pretty convinced that this thing's going to rip through and everything will be like one and done. But I can tell you that as far as anybody who's like, there are still gigs that are hold like that haven't canceled yet for April and may because like yeah. who knows maybe yep but i can tell you that anyone who is rescheduling something is not looking any earlier than like june you know like nobody's booking anything which is where
1: then. those splendor in the grass side shows were are they yeah june, july? june july yeah yeah and i was like yeah. that's probably when they when i saw that coming i'm like that's a pretty big sign that because that's a big move mm. a putting on splendor in the grass in australia and B these like quite High-profile sideshows like Jack Harlow yeah. and yeah and Young has and these Australia's Sp- piggy
0: Australia's fucking going for it, man. I'm going to Australia in April to do Crowded House. Shit is selling. Shout out Crowded House. Shout out Crowded House. Great group of people. Um, I've been
1: watching Liam on stream. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big Liam fan on stream on Are Twitch. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: He yeah. tried. I saw him this morning. Actually, he said he was. Um, we were watching somebody, like a bunch of people, film a TikTok thing, and we both had this moment of looking at each other and being like. <laughs> we're fucking old because we, and he was like, yeah, I downloaded TikTok because I was doing the streaming stuff and I thought, oh, it'd be really cool if I like cut together a video, or whatever. And so I uploaded it to TikTok and then I forgot about it. And then a couple, couple weeks later, I was like, ah, oh, that TikTok video, I wonder how many views it's gotten. And he went and checked and he was like, it had one view. So I was like, okay, delete. This is not, <laughs> I am not designed for the algorithm. Um, but Australia's going for it, man. Like they're, they had a dip over, when summer sorry they had a dip over summer which i think we should all expect here as well that even when the government says okay cool you can go out and do things people are not necessarily co- comfortable going out and doing things and that's what they had over new year's as the government said you can have gigs you can do whatever you want but nobody was buying tickets because they didn't want to go out and fucking get sick um but now they're yeah those those shows are selling yep. real well
1: so and just to keep it on the funding thing mm. um from you like you've got a good view and a, you're obviously like in talks with people on the inside. I know you've been talking with Chloe Swalbrick as mm-hmm. well, who's, yep. who's a great champion of this yep. kind of stuff. And so you probably have a good outsider view of a lot of the processes and how it's, how it's working. Is there something we could do to future proof funding or the relationship between government and the arts that would help this kind of thing in the future? Or is it always just going to be like this?
0: That is a great question. Well, you know, I do this for <laughs> a little
1: <laughs> And sign up to the uh, Patreon if you go to As you know. <laughs>
0: um, I... Th- well, I think a few things. I think first the government at this point doesn't have any interest in continuing to support anybody really. Like they just, they want to be done with it. We all want to be fucking done with it. Yeah. The thing that became very clear to me over the last couple of weeks and in conversation with Chloe and looking at the MCH and MB support schemes and how all that had rolled out was basically that the government kind of stopped thinking about it like October, November of last year. Like they identified that there would be a need for future ongoing support specifically for our industry and others. And they wrote a bunch of like policy papers on it and it was a work in progress and then they just stopped. And then we came back in January and all of a sudden we needed it, but nobody had finished working on it and nobody really wanted to think about it anymore. (laughs) And like nobody, I'm convinced that MB nor, neither MB nor MCH had any, expectation that they would actually need to roll out these funding schemes the way that they did in
1: my mind that makes me think is it is is the change in attitude going to come from essentially like voter pressure or like artists and union pressure to be like hey you know there are political consequences to supporting us or not thinking about us which Mm -hmm. I, I would probably argue doesn't really exist right now in, in any not. real sense, no. Um, but as do you, it, it kind of what you're talking about kind of makes it seem like they, they there's no risk. They seem to view that there's no real risk to them politically mm. for not making it a number one priority. Is that kind of c- fear?
0: I I would say um, certainly there are probably there's probably a bigger repercussion <clears throat> to abandoning like the hospitality and tourism industries than there is to abandoning the live event sector. And that's because hospitality and tourism.
1: Oh, oh, oh. Cool.
0: because hospitality and tourism have, um, they've got industry bodies that represent them in a really, um, uh, like, they, they have a unified voice that they can present. Um, live music doesn't have that. We have the promoters association um, and they've actually done a lot of, like they've done some seriously good lobbying throughout this whole period, which has been really great, but there's no unified voice for artists. There's certainly no unified voice for um, production crew or anything like that. So uh, yeah, certainly there's been less, like when you look at the messaging, that like hospitality has been putting out for like the last nine to 12 months like they're constantly putting out statements to I mean and like that's really effective for them they get the attention from it um and there's been some conversations around like crew and not necessarily you uni- I mean like unionization versus guilds versus just like some kind of like there's got to be some kind of support system not just for getting you know a singular or unified voice out there but also just in terms of like wage transparency and like reasonable working conditions and like it's you know, official on many levels oh my god so many mental so many so many levels i don't understand why there aren't like i don't understand how new zealand doesn't have more of a union presence but maybe also that all happened like before i came here like maybe that was in like the 80s and Nomics just distorted. it i don't know or Helen Clark. I don't yeah, well, know. You tell me. Helen Clark. Where was that the? What does hate music? Where was the? <laughs> Sucker! Must have loved Six Sixty last year. Um, did that answer your
1: question? Yes, it did. And I've only got. I mean, we could talk what about. What time is it? We could talk about <laughs> this for a long time, and and it's we've we've got a little while left. Okay. Um, but I think. I could have so many questions about that, but I can just, I'll just, we'll just do it on Twitter. It's fine. Yeah. But
0: also like public funding of the arts is really important, um, but particularly at the grassroots level. So I do think that ongoing, the way that we can make, we're talking about making the sector more resilient, right? Like that's ultimately yeah. what it is because like, we can't predict what this fucking pandemic is going to do, but having more support for small independent music venues, which would look like, on a municipal level, things around zoning and alcohol licensing and like stuff that makes it easier for them to trade. From a uh, central government level, something that Chloe goes on and on about, rightfully so, is around commercial landlords and looking at rental pricing in central city areas, making sure that those are places where venues can afford to operate Um, again, on a municipal level, things around like noise complaints and all that kind of shit. Like it's an entertainment district. Don't let people move into it buy a condo and lodge a noise complaint. Um, so supporting like the grassroots live scene, I think is like, that's where a lot of energy needs to be focused. And then in terms of like the performer side of things, I don't actually know that I can like speak with any kind of authority on like what is actually needed for like the artists end of the ecosystem simply because like I'm so disconnected from that. Um, But I do think arts funding, like public funding of the arts is really important, um, particularly on those sort of smaller scales where it's not financially viable, you know? Running LAB at Mount Smart, like that, they don't need any public funding. They're fine. But like doing some weird show for... Cross it, yeah. (laughs) Or or doing like all ages stuff, you know? Like getting kids involved in venues that don't rely entirely. This is a... P- perpetual conversation that I've been having for 15 years is like, how do you run a music venue that isn't relying on alcohol sales?
1: Yeah, no, we should keep funding. <laughs> we should keep funding radio singles that cost $50 to make in someone's bedroom. It's it's not a problem. Um, right. Well, the
0: I mean, New Zealand on air is New Zealand on air, yeah, right? Like their what, remit. That, that's is what I've said to
1: it's, it's like my whole thing. I say over and over is if I had that remit, then you're doing a ten out of ten job, but I have a problem with the remit, not yeah. with the job you're doing. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, it's institutional; it's not a personal thing. That's yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about, and I would so regret it if I because obviously we'll have you're going to have to come back at some okay. point. But um, I live across the road; it's fine. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, because this is another big thing that you are really deep into that I really would like some some of your like insider experience about it. But it it. It's about the inclusion riders and and specifically festivals, but could, it could be extended to gigs and stuff and the representation at them. Uh, this topic fascinates me because I do I have done a lot of work for Smoke Free Rock Quest because it, they're angels and I love smoke. I think it's the best thing New Zealand has going and. They recently, well, recently in the last five years, I've also worked for them doing uh, Band Quest, which is like prime, like intermediate kids as well. And the thing that's really shocked me, and I've brought it up quite a lot, is that there is an overwhelming amount of girls to boys in Band Quest, and then in the first like few years. And then once you get to the year 12 and year 13s, which is when, again, that you start getting good enough to not just sound like Nirvana and you get to national finals, that's, that's where you see less and less girls. And I've had um, to the front at the time, they were, they were called the other name, but I, I know it was to the front uh, now. Girls Rock Camp. Um, yeah, um, and, and Nicole and that, we've talked about this as well, and, and I, I love what they're doing. I think that's uh, – they kind of talked about the idea of the, of the pipeline and how difficult it can be. And that's why I kind of want to talk to you about, like, everyone seems to be recognising, it's a very in-your-face visual thing when you pull all the names off a poster and you put it up front. And I I think your tool of inclusion writers is a very um, interesting tool as well. I, I wanted to hear what your experience of what you view the problem as where you view the effectiveness of inclusion riders to that to that that problem, and and what other things you would like to see happening? How much time do we have? Uh, we have. <laughs> it is. I know. I know. <laughs> if we if we could we could give this <laughs> ten minutes, and you won't be late.
0: Okay. Um, it's interesting. Well, first of all, I just want to point out, dear listener, that that anecdote that you've just shared around. The representation of like lots of women in younger years, and then all of a sudden, when you get to the end of high school, women just drop out of the picture completely. Yes. Is not just anecdotal, that has been documented. Right. The Amplify Aotearoa report that came out in 2019 um, documented that really clearly that young women participate in way higher rates than young men um, throughout most of their their education. Uh, and then it's once you hit your late teens and graduate and go out into the quote-unquote real world that all of a sudden women just drop out of view almost completely. And so I think that says really interesting things about what we are teaching young women. Well, two things. First, what are we teaching young women about what acceptable careers are and what they can and should be paid to do and whether or not this is a viable career option for them. And secondly, what does it say about the spaces that now you start to occupy when you're in your late teens uh, and early twenties, when you're out in venues and around alcohol and in, you know, spaces that are maybe not super welcoming for young women. And um, what do we, what are we telling young women about this or what are the spaces that we're inviting young women into and I shouldn't just say young women young women and non-binary folks um basically just like anyone who's not a cis dude um so that's not anecdotal like that is documented and factual that like those numbers flip um towards the end of high school which is really fucking sad, (laughs) like super sad. And so to me, that's actually a really important kind of precursor to the whole conversation with people around representation and why it's important because often you'll have, I mean, I still have fucking friends who will say, well, I just don't know that it's like, I mean, like, is it our job to try and get more women involved if women don't want to be involved? And it's like, do you think that women are just not as good at just making music? Like, do you think just inherently somehow we just, like, don't have the right brains for it or something or what? Because if that's what you believe, then how do you explain those participation rates for young women when they're in, you know, intermediate school? You know, and so, like, that's one way to kind of, like diffuse that argument of like well women just aren't like maybe it's just not their thing what do you mean maybe it's just not their fucking thing like that doesn't make any sense um so how do I view the role of inclusion writers I mean that to me is one of the more top-down tools that can be used um and it you know in the in the sort of upper echelons of it, like for example, crowded house, like I was talking with them about using crewing inclusion riders, um, not necessarily for on the stage, but like when you are on the road and you're working with a promoter in another territory, how do you encourage that promoter to be mindful of who it is that they're hiring? Cause the last tour that I did with them. I was one of two women who were on the road out of a crew of like 30 plus people. I adored all 30 of those people. Like I absolutely love all those dudes. And I don't think there was anything toxic or like negative about that environment at all. But at the end of the tour, when we do the crew photo, <laughs> like, and then I gay, and then, you it's know, a very
1: visceral image, isn't it?
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so I had the photographer. I was like, Hey Benny, wait a second. Can you just do one with just me and Ellie? Like, okay, there's the visual representation, right? Um, so yeah, Inclusion Writers basically, like I the whole reason that I built that website, which is <clears throat> thechangeover.org, the whole reason that I wrote those Inclusion Writers and built that whole website was because uh, I was having conversations with my best friend who's a white male DJ. Um, and we were talking about ways... Like, he had recognized, he was like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up. That like, there's, you know, I'm playing on these bills all the time, and it's all dudes. And, like, it's taken me to my late 30s to, like, realize that's kind of weird and shitty. But, like, I'd like to do something about it. Like, what can we do about it? And we were talking about, I had sort of raised the idea of inclusion writers. And he was like, cool. Like, do you have one that you can send me? I was like, nope, I actually don't. And yeah. I looked, I looked, I looked so hard. I scoured the internet I reached out to other people that I like had heard talking about it. Nobody would share anything with me if they either because they didn't actually have one or they weren't comfortable like sharing part of their contract or whatever. Fair, fine. And so I was like, well, fuck, I am going to write one then. And thank God for the Annenberg inclusion initiative, writing a film inclusion writer that was like, holy toots, super intense. Like, if you're filming in this location and this, like you find out what the demographic breakdown of that region is. And like, that is basically, those are your percentages for how you need to hire. <laughs> Just like the, and these are the financial penalties if you don't do it. Like they were very comprehensive with their version for film. Um, but yeah, thank God that they, you know, had that published and available on the, their website. And so I basically grabbed that and kind of pulled out what I needed, And it's evolved a bunch since then, but basically there's a version for, if you're an artist, um, if you are, uh, if, yeah, if you're an artist looking at lineups, if you're an artist looking at your production crew, um, if you're, uh, like a venue, um, who's taking artist bookings. Um, and also, you know, if you're a promoter who wants to put it into a clause when you're hiring like your production vendors and suppliers and stuff to be able to do that as well. And it's really important to remember that it's like, yes, it's, um, you know, a clause that you're putting into your term sheet or your performance agreement or whatever. But it's also, like, there's a whole spectrum of, like, how hard and fast you can be with that language. And to me, ultimately, the most important thing is actually just starting conversations around it. So Mm -hmm. your, your version of an inclusion rider could be as simple as, like, putting a line into your, you know, deal memo that basically says, like, diversity and inclusion is really important to me as an artist. Can you share what you're doing in this space as a festival can you share like what measures your venue has in place to make sure that you're like a welcoming safer space for people who come into it like just tell me what your take on it is and you can start the conversation from there you know mm-hmm. and then if you're in a position where like i don't know if like you billy eilish or something you can just say like i'm not getting on a stage that has less than 50 you know women on it and you can do that if you've got the leverage, you know? Yeah. If you're a bad
1: guy, you can fucking do what you want. dude. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, yeah. And I mean, crowded houses sort of, we, so I talked with them about doing, um, a touring inclusion rider for crew and, uh, what that actually ended up looking like for Australia was, um, because a window into the future of what our industry looks like. If we don't support it's just like, man, they're having a real hard time over there finding crew to do anything because half the people have fucking left. Um, it's so that became a real challenge like actually finding like backline crew specifically like just was really hard for them to find a couple fill a couple of those key roles of people who aren't dudes and so they found liam actually found um an organization called the push um which works with like youth and getting them into you know music careers um in australia and so he then proposed it to Live Nation and like he got management on board, he got the agent on board, he got the promoter on board and so now we're taking out two interns for that whole tour um, and those two interns will be either women or non-binary young people um, and that that really is about addressing the like earlier part of the pipeline which you allude to mm-hmm. which is the talent pipeline has got to actually start in addition to the top-down stuff. There is a, there is a, a problem with the available talent like there is a disparity there there is a shortage of not dudes in the industry but that we can't just stop at that we can't just go well I would hire them if but there just aren't any well okay do you understand yourself as having any kind of responsibility to try and fix that problem like if you just stop there
1: then fuck you man I think the intern thing is an interesting way to do it because Yeah, the the pipeline thing is like it's it's like it's not easy for anyone to see where to see that the steps. I think sometimes it's a a bit of an opaque because you can kind of find your way in this industry in unique ways. There's especially as the internet and the industry becomes a, a kind of new thing the steps are becoming less traditional and therefore less kind of, like, hard, it's harder to point them out, be like, well, you do this. used to be able to be like, well, you're intern at a studio, then you get to work on sessions, and then you get blah, 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 you know? And I just, it's, it's. I think, anything that anyone can do to illuminate any point of, here's the next step you need to go to, and here's, and, and extra for experts, here's someone who's doing that now. And that's why I actually think that idea of, like, taking interns out on, the road essentially, like, is a way to really illuminate, hey, these things are already happening and these are jobs that already exist and, and places that you can go in it, but it still allows the freedom for, you know, those two young people to come on the road and identify with their particular aspects they like or don't like, but still see the the future. It's hard to see the future, I guess, is what I'm Well, there. that's
0: the whole thing with representation is if you can't see it, you don't know how to be it.
1: Mm. So if you. It, and and that doesn't just apply to like the kind of person you're looking at, but literally the job. Yeah. Totally. If you can't see the job. Yeah.
0: You don't like, know what exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, do you know that there are people out there who like, you know, pitch music for like video game trailers and shit? Like, do you like, nobody understands the world of syncing? but like, fuck man, there's probably tons of kids who would like love to just be like music nerds it's and black just catalog magic, stuff.
1: And I will sell yeah. my soul
0: for it. <laughs> Um, but I think it also goes both ways, like bringing, bringing people out on the road and giving them sort of a structured, slightly, I don't want to use the word protected, but like having sort of a structure that is um, going to empower them to kind of insert themselves into that space rather than being like, you want to work on the road, you just have to be a roadie and push boxes for 10 years and then maybe you'll be a production manager. Like the like, hazing
1: mentality. Yeah, or just stint, like, like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta grind. You start at the bottom.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's definitely something to be said. Like, I'm all for like, yeah, sometimes you just gotta elbow your way into a space and just fucking do it. But also, there are spaces that I know I probably wouldn't bother elbowing my way into because they are just so unappealing to me because they're full of like shitty men and like <laughs> horrible attitudes. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Totally. And so, you know, giving people a way, like giving people a way to be involved that doesn't rely on them just like sacrificing their like mental and emotional health for years of their lives is like objectively a good thing. And it also means that like, I think there's going to be something to be gained by all of the existing overwhelmingly male crew who are now participating. Cause it's totally going to be like, there's like a village mentality to this, right? Like they're going to come in, these two interns are going to come into it and like, they're basically going to they're like, They're going to be learning from everyone. That's, like, the vibe of this whole thing. And so to have, you know, an overwhelmingly male production crew who is engaged in, like, teaching some young people who look different than the young people that they've historically taught to do these things, you know, I think that's also really beneficial to just, like, show that actually there are young people who aren't dudes who want to get into it's not just because oh well like women don't want to do it or like oh gay people don't want to do it like that's not the fucking issue they want to do it it's just that this has been such a fucking hostile environment whether you want to admit it or knew it or not it has been you know i like
1: that the fucks really started (laughs) flowing
0: We got the flying at the end. Get me going on this the Natural Sparkling Waters. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Saren, you got a heart out, so we have to end here. Even though we could probably do another three yeah. times as long as
0: probably. That. Maybe uh, we just have to do. Yeah, we I could, just we want to thank sequel. you
1: so much for coming in. I've, mm. I find you very inspiring, Aww. and I'm very happy that you're here doing your thing. Aww. Um, and Thanks, good luck buddy. with the crowded house tour. It's yeah, well, be awesome.
0: fingers fingers crossed. I feel like I need to go get COVID now, just in advance. Like. I know that's well, a terrible say thing. Don't say that to, to say, them. But they <laughs> won't want to hear that. No, no, but like beforehand, like yeah. I just kind of want to get I out of way. I doubt they want way. to hear
1: that. You're like, I'm just trying to get go- I'm out, <laughs> I'm out, lick- I'm at the rat testing lines licking people. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> I mean, seriously,
0: it's just like we're all trying to time our lives around, yeah. like, Ugh.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, the changeover is where you can find the inclusion writers.
0: Thechangeover.org. .org. Yep.
1: Um, any other things you want to shout out, go follow Sarah on Twitter to find out how our fend- funding works. <laughs> um, and I'll be- Oh vo- yeah,
0: no, there is actually on my Twitter, there's a link tree that has a link to that um, Google doc with um, resources for like COVID industry resources for um, people who work in production. And that, that has a breakdown of the, like basically the sort of the funding streams and shit that sure. the government has come up with. So if you are lost and you're like, I don't know what's available, then-
1: Amazing. Are you going to post the Twitter or something? Are you like, oh, no, um, I, I I think I'm, I'm taking a break from Twitter for everyone else's mental health. Uh, um, <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of agitators, maybe the next time I come back and
0: we can... Uh, next time I we come got, back, we got it at the end. Next um, time I come back, I can interview you about being a fucking agitator and the hey, thorn in the side I've what, of d- NZ on air.
1: Jacob Leaping Tiger described me as both the antagonist and protagonist of New Zealand Twitter, and I think that's probably the best description I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um... Thank you for everyone for listening. We'll be up another episode next week. Thanks to all the Patreon supporters. You guys oh, you real... do have a Patreon. You were We actually joking. do. Don't have a joke. Go support us. $3 a month. That's so bloody cheap, mate. Just come support New Zealand music. For
0: yarns like this? I know.
1: It's a professional, it's a professional thing. Technically, because you are getting paid for it. <laughs> yeah. so. yeah. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week.